I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Malachi once again. We will pick up where we left off last Sunday. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to walk through verse 5 of chapter 3 this morning as we look at a message entitled, Is God Just? Does God do the right thing? Now kids, I need your help for just a second. How many of you have ever said to your parents this phrase, that's not fair? Raise your hand, kids. How many of you ever said that to your parents? That's not fair. Maybe you had a sibling that got something that you didn't have. Maybe you got in trouble when you didn't think you were supposed to get in trouble, even though you didn't do what your parents said to do, right? But here's the question. Parents, grandparents, adults, how many of you have ever said, as an adult, that's not fair? How many of you have gotten pulled over and said to the policeman, that's not fair? You should have seen the guy that passed me. You know, it's interesting when we think about life not being fair, that that is one of the great comments or questions that the world asks about God. Is God fair? Is God just? Does God do the right thing? And some people look and have a problem with the way in which this world exists, the way in which things transpire because of sin in the world, and they look and lodge the complaint against God, God, you're just not being fair. And if we're honest this morning, if we're truthful with one another, there's times that we, even as believers, have probably thought the same thing. There's probably times in our lives where we've wondered as we've walked through difficult circumstances, as we've walked through problems, as we walk through struggles, as we look at other people and we see that they have what we want, as we look at other people and we think, if I just had their life, it would all be better. And we look at God and say, God, why, why aren't you giving me that? God, maybe you're just not just, you're not good, you don't do the right thing. And interestingly, what that ends up doing is impacting our worship. As we've looked at the book of Malachi over the last number of weeks, we've seen God's people questioning God time after time after time. In fact, things in Israel at this point in time, as we've talked before, were actually in a better state than they had been in years. The temple had been rebuilt. The city had been restored. They were walking in a season that was better than the season that they had just come out of, but they were looking at God and they were thinking that God wasn't doing what they thought He should be doing. That God's timetable in bringing the Messiah, the Savior, wasn't their timetable. God, you're not doing what you said you were going to do. And so as we read the text this morning, I want you to think about that. Because what we're going to see beginning in verse 17 and going through verse 5 of chapter 3 is God responding to his people in light of those questions. So I want us to pick up. 
Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. This is God's word. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I don't know if you notice what happened in verse 17 as we started reading the text this morning, but I want you to notice the statement from God to the people. The statement that the Lord makes in verse 17 is you have wearied the Lord with your words. Any parent want to say amen to that about your kiddos? They just keep talking and talking and talking. But that's what's going on in the text this morning. God looking at his people is saying to them, you just keep talking and talking, and talking, and it's not as if what they were saying was praise to the Lord. In fact, they were lodging complaints against God. We've seen it as we've walked through the book of Malachi. They have been questioning God. God, we don't think you're doing what you should be doing. And the Lord responds to them at every turn and shows them exactly how he is at work in not only their lives, but in the world around them. And he is not slow in fulfilling his promises, but they continue. The Lord says, you've wearied me with your words, but I want you to notice the question from the people. How? How have we wearied you? The Lord responds here, and he says, this is what you're saying. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. 
Now just catch this picture of what's going on with the people of Israel at this point. They are looking around them and they are saying, God, you are blessing everyone else who's not following you. And here we are following you and you're not blessing us like you're blessing them. God, life's not fair. Now that's a crazy statement to make to the Lord, isn't it? I mean, do we really believe, did they really believe that God was blessing the evil people? As if God was not taking note, as if God was not watching, as if God had just simply fallen asleep on the job and wasn't paying attention? No, it's not at all what's going on. But that is the accusation that they lodge against the Lord. And then they ask this question. Where is the God of justice? Where is the God who does the right thing? It ain't you because you're not doing what we think you ought to be doing. So where is that God? That's what the people were saying. Now we look and we think, gosh, I don't know that I'd want to be standing beside them when they were lodging these questions against God. Lightning bolt, right? But can we all be honest this morning? Sometimes we've wondered that. Sometimes we've looked in the world and we've wondered. It sure seems like the people who are doing the wrong things don't really often pay the consequences for that. It seems like those who are not doing the right thing that God just kind of lets them slide through and if they're not caught, then nobody pays attention. Maybe you've got a coworker that you work with or kids, maybe you have a student that's in your class and you're like, they should get in trouble, but they don't. The teacher doesn't ever see them do the wrong thing and they do it all the time. Maybe you're the kid who does it all the time. And you're like, I'm sure glad she doesn't see me or he doesn't see me in class. But that's what's going on at this point in Israel. God's people are looking and they're wondering, is God good? Is God righteous? Is God just? Does he do the right thing? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea because it'll frame the rest of our time together this morning in the text. And it's this encouragement to you and to me this morning. Never lose hope. Never lose hope. God's justice will reign. Never lose hope. God's justice will reign. So now as we've got the context of what's going on in Israel with the people at this point, I want you to notice the Lord's response through the prophet Malachi to the people beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Malachi says in chapter 3 verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek 
will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. If you're taking down notes, write this first truth. Cling to hope even when it seems hopeless. Cling to hope even when it seems hopeless. Kids, if you want to draw a picture, draw the picture of a hand that's grasping something. Cling to hope even when it seems hopeless. God speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi says, I hear what you're saying. I hear the accusations that you're making. I hear that you are cynical about the way in which I'm at work. I hear what you're saying is that you don't think I'm doing what I've promised to do. I hear what you're saying in that you think that everyone can just get away with whatever they want to and there's no justice and there's no judgment and you don't have to worry about any of that. The people who are doing evil are not going to be punished. I want you to notice that Malachi says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now at this point in time, we're 400 years before Jesus would step foot on this planet as a baby in a manger. And here he's speaking of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the messenger who would prepare the way for Jesus Christ's ministry on this earth. And here the Lord says, cling to hope because I am sending my messenger who's going to prepare the way before me. The Lord is saying to his people, I've not fallen asleep on the job. I'm not sitting back and not active at work. The Lord is coming. The Savior is coming. And there's going to be a messenger that will prepare the way for him. Cling to hope, even when it seems hopeless. Now just pause and think about this for a second. How long should you cling to hope? I mean, for the people here that the Lord is speaking to through his prophet, it's going to be another 400 years. Put that in perspective. Our nation, the United States of America, is not yet 400 years old. That's a long time. And the Lord says here, Cling to hope he's coming. Cling to hope I'm going to prepare the way for the Savior to come. Now here's what's interesting about this. We have the privilege of looking back and knowing that Jesus did come. We have the privilege of reading in the gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry and knowing that this promise that was made 400 years before Jesus came was fulfilled. And as we think about that, what we're reminded of is that God does keep his word. That God does keep his promises. That God fulfills what he promises. It may not be on our timetable, but it's on his. And his timetable is perfect. And we look at this and we think, all right, so the people are told here that the messenger's coming, that he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. But for us today, we're looking back on that event. We're looking back at when Jesus Christ came. 
And I want to remind us that as we look back on that, we need to keep the context of what's going on here in mind. Remember what the people were saying, God, you're not being fair. I want you to notice the greatest act that has ever been done to demonstrate God's love for his people is sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. When we want to look and we want to talk about justice, we want to talk about doing what's right. The scripture says for every single one of us that we are born in sin, that we are sinners. And what's right is for us to experience exactly what we deserve. And that is God's judgment against us. That's what we deserve. If God was going to be fair, that's what God would give us. I know you parents never do this, but sometimes do you not get onto your kids the way that you should? Just kind of let things slide a bit. Some kids are like, not my parents. (laughs) But I want you to notice what happens in the father sending the son is that the judgment of God, the justice of God against sin is exercised against the Son. That Jesus Christ, when He comes to this earth, He takes your sin and my sin upon Himself. And we deserved God's judgment against our sin, but instead of pouring that out on us, He poured it out on Jesus, His Son. So what you and I deserve, Jesus took for us. And if we'll trust Him as our Savior, We can experience what it means to have our sins forgiven, to be in right relationship with our heavenly Father, not to stand in judgment of our sin, but have one who pays the price that we should have paid. At this point in time, the people are looking forward to this day coming. We have the privilege of looking back and seeing it come. And as we think about, God, are you just? What we see on display in Jesus Christ coming is the justice of God at its elevated peak. God does not wink at sin. God does not look at sin and say, it's really okay, it's not that bad. He looks at sin and says, the payment for sin is death. And for you and I, that should have been us, but Jesus took our place. And if you're here this morning and you've taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you look at the text of Scripture and realize that God's justice was not exercised against you for your sin, but Jesus took it on Himself. That's the greatest act of love. It's the greatest act of grace that has ever been witnessed in this world. If you are here this morning and you've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know this morning that sitting here today, if you've not taken that step, that God's justice, His judgment against your sin will be exercised. 
And you have the opportunity this morning to claim what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and to say, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for taking the penalty that I deserve because of my sin. I want you to know this morning that that is the greatest switch that you could ever experience in life. Not to be taking the judgment of God against your sin, but to have someone stand in the gap and take that for you. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's what the Lord reminds his people here is there's a messenger coming, cling to the hope even when it seems hopeless. I want you to notice that the text continues. And beginning in verse two, the Lord is going to move fast forward through a little bit of time here. So in verse one of chapter three, he's looking at Jesus coming for the first time. But I want you to notice a switch takes place there at the end of verse one. And in view here, the prophet is looking at the end when Jesus will return the second time. And I want you to notice what happens in this context in Jesus when he comes the second time. Verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. I want you to write down the second truth. Prepare your heart, because God desires to change you. Kids, if you want to draw a picture of a heart here, help you remember that truth that God's desire is to change our hearts. So at the beginning in verse one, the prophet is reminding the people that there's a messenger coming who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. We know that's John the Baptist. We know that Jesus comes. We know that he lives a sinless, perfect life, that he takes your sin and my sin on the cross. He pays for our sins. He dies there. He's buried and he's raised again on the third day. And it's not long after that that he leaves and ascends to be with his heavenly father. But I want you to remember the promise that Jesus made to his disciples when he left. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And when Jesus returns to call his church home for every single one of us. The process between the moment that we are saved and the moment we either die or Jesus returns is a process of God making us more like his son, Jesus. That's what God is doing in your life and that's what God is doing in my life. He is changing our hearts day by day by day. Meaning that for you and for me, we should not look the same today as we did when we first met Jesus. We should be growing in Christ-likeness, growing to look more and more like Jesus. I want you to notice how he describes it here. He uses two separate terms, a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. 
And then he explains these two processes. So for every follower of Jesus who's here this morning, what God is doing in your life right now is transforming your heart day by day by day by day. He is refining you as it's described here as a precious metal is put under heat and is tested and the impurities are pulled off of it. That's exactly what God's doing in your life and in my life. Let's all be honest, sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that's a bit painful. Sometimes you look up and you're like, again? I feel like I just got out of the fire. And then the other description here is like Fuller's soap. At this point in time, I don't know if you know this or not, maybe a news flash for you. They didn't have washing machines. I'll never forget when we went into a hotel room at Disney a number of years ago and we walked into the room and our girls look and they hear a phone ring. It was the room phone, and they look at it. What's that? They're like, that's a phone. They're like, no. A cell phone's a phone. What is this? So they didn't have washing machines back here. So how did they wash clothes? Well, they would have taken the clothes and they would have washed them in soap in the river on rocks and they would have beaten the clothes so that they could clean them. So that's the other picture that's in view here of God at work transforming our hearts and our lives as believers. So as we look, as we are watching what's going on in the world, as we live through this life, what we see is that God is at work in our lives transforming us and shaping us, making us more like Jesus Christ. And so he says to his people here, that day is coming. Remember what's going on in the nation of Israel at this point in time. They are half-heartedly worshiping the Lord. They are looking at God and questioning Him every step of the way. They're saying, God, you're not doing what you promised to do. And as a result of that, their worship is half-hearted. They're not really in it. They show up to church, but their heart's not in it. They give, but it's not from a heart that's focused on the Lord at this point in time. The Lord's saying to them, you want justice. You want to see me do what's right? Transforming your heart is at the top of the list. Listen, Christian, I want to remind you this morning, it's easy for us to look outside in this world and to say, this world is a mess. But could it be that the Lord is looking at your heart and saying, your heart is a mess? Amen or ouch? The God's desire is to change our hearts. If the world around us is gonna change, the Lord looks and says, you first need to change in the church. Christians, your lives need to look different. Your heart needs to be focused on me. Your heart needs to be transformed, needs to be refined, needs to be cleaned. That's what the Lord is saying to his people. He's saying, you want me to do it out there, but what if I do it here first? 
You want me to change them, I need to change you. And at this point in time, the Lord is saying to his people, I am changing you and I will continue to change you. Believer, let me remind you, God's purpose in your life is to continually transform you to look more and more like his son, Jesus. I want you to notice the last truth. Verse five, expect God's judgment if you reject him. Still looking at the end of time, Jesus' second coming. Verse five, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. There is not an act of sin in this world that God doesn't see. God sees it all. From those things that are listed here by Malachi to every other sin that you and I could imagine, it doesn't escape God's glance. And there will be judgment that he will exercise against that sin but only if you reject him. Kids, if you wanna draw a picture here on this third truth, just draw a picture of a hand as if I don't want anything to do with you. See, the truth is this morning that if you're here and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus as your savior, that's essentially what you're doing at this point in time. God, I want nothing to do with you. And in that moment, if that is the posture of your heart and you die or Jesus returns, there will be absolutely nothing that will spare you from the judgment that God will exercise against your sin. So this is the focus of the people at this point in time. They want God to deal with the people outside They want God to fix what's going on in the false worship of all the other people around them. God first says, I need to change your heart. But don't lose sight of the reality that I will exercise perfect judgment, perfect justice in this world. I wanna ask you if you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. I don't think it's by accident that we come to this text this morning. Such a joy to have our kids here. And parents, I wanna remind you this morning of the great responsibility and opportunity that God has laid at your doorstep with your kids. The greatest thing that they could do in life is not get a good job. It's not marry the right person. It's not be successful in this world. The greatest thing that they can do 
is to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so this may be an opportunity for you to spend some time in prayer for your kids this morning. Maybe they've not yet taken that step. But you can ask the Lord right now, God, help me focus on that above anything else. To teach them who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. God, would you save my child? Maybe for you this morning, you know that you need to take that step. That you need to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. just a few moments we'll have an opportunity for you to respond I want to encourage you if you know that that's the step that you need to take that in just a few moments when I pray that you would pray the prayer after me of asking Jesus Christ to come in and to transform your life just a few moments as well we're going to have the opportunity as a church family with our kids in here to celebrate communion together and we're going to pass out the elements and parents I want to encourage you as we say every time that we gather together and celebrate communion together that this is an act that should be done by those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so your kids may be here and they've not yet taken that step and that's okay. But I wanna encourage you as those elements come by, you grab it if you have, but let them see what's going on. Let them ask questions when they get home. Hey, why wasn't I able to do that? and share with them what Jesus Christ has done to transform your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful once again that we're reminded of who you are and what you've done. We're thankful that you are a just God, that you do what's right, that your timing is perfect even when we can't see it. God, would you help us recognize that you want to do something in us as believers today. And for every single day that we draw breath, you want to transform our hearts, make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. So would you encourage the believers who are here this morning to receive that? to receive the fire, to receive the soap, to allow you to do in our lives what you desire to do to set us apart, to sanctify us. Father, if there's one that's here this morning that hasn't taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you give them the boldness right now to join me in prayer and to simply say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that. I believe that he rose again on the third day, securing salvation for me. And I receive that free gift right now. Come into my life. Change it. Save me. Father, use this time to work in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you if you'll stay seated and ask Pastor Scott if he'll play for a little bit. The elements will be passed out. Everything's contained in one cup there. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed as we begin to pass those out, if you've prayed that prayer, I want to ask you if you would to meet me right here down front. Love to talk with you for just a minute before we celebrate communion together.